Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is my good buddy, Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Hey, good to be back, Dimitri. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, listen, all the listeners want their fix of Young Willis, and, and I have to say, you're 2016-2017, uh, you're, uh, you're the PDO cast breakout star of the season. So um, with all that said, though, I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, my intentions for having you on this time are purely selfish because I need you to, to talk me out of this malaise I'm currently in because the season has just been dragging on so much that uh, I, I've, I've hit a little bit of a rut here. I, I, I can't watch the games the way I used to early on in the season. It's funny how that works, hey? Like, it, I, I find for me, when, when I used to just follow one team, I found this time of year really exciting. Mm-hmm. But now that you know, I, I try and follow the league as a whole a lot more, you get to the three-quarter mark of the season and it's just like, Oh, I've been doing a lot of walk, watching hockey, yeah. so I, I don't know how good I'm going to be at, at talking you out of it, but uh, ho- hopefully we can be at least a little bit excited about this. Well, listen, I mean, I, I obviously give this caveat every time, or, or, or sort of disclaimer, but like I, I'm, I'm well aware that we're very lucky to be able to call this work, and oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge privilege and an honor, and, and, and we're blessed to do so, but at the same time, like when you are trying to watch all these games and really keep your finger on, on the pulse of the league every night... It just like it goes on and on. It just seems like this endless thing. I mean, it's never going to happen because they'd basically be just lighting money on fire from the NHL's perspective. But like the eighty-two games, I mean, we can agree is just is just way too long, right? Yeah, it it. Uh, if it were a, if it were a fifty-game regular season, I would be totally happy with that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think. Even like I think honestly though, even like seventy would be make such a difference, and it would kind yeah. of help appe- appease the crowd that says, you know, if it was fifty, I feel like, I mean, there's so well, much randomness in hockey, anyways. But I feel like that would especially like the the results would be pretty wonky at that point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you if you dial back, you pick any season you like, and you dial back to the fifty game mark, and you look at where all the teams are, and you you kind of get an appreciation for the fact that those extra thirty games do change the outcome. Mm-hmm. But one thing too, this year, this year has been, I think, especially hard just because of the schedule, because it has been so condensed and because we had the World Cup at the start and like, it's it's just been a tough year. Well, I think even beyond like, obviously, if there were fewer games, you know, it'd be fair to theorize that players would be healthier and their performance would be more optimized and all that. And I, I get that, you know, some people are kind of 
uh, upset about the fact that hockey's going into into mid June now with the Stanley Cup final, and and I, I appreciate all that. But I think that even more so than that, it's like this stretch between the trade deadline and the start of the first round is supposed to be one of the more exciting times of the year whereas you mentioned it's like the sprint to the finish line and if you're following one team every every day matters and you're kind of like scoreboard watching and stuff but it's just dragging on so much that it, it really feels like this is the part of the schedule where a lot of people that are following it very closely are kind of like getting their rest in before it's like the calm before the storm well and and especially because with the trade deadline in the past that's obviously you know one of those big things with all the storylines you got to follow and once that dies off you can kind of take a take a breather just before the the playoff push because it is going to be a crazy few months and and then this year you you kind of touched on them going to to mid June but it's going to be insane once the the playoffs end too because it's just a jam packed summer yeah well like i said i don't think anyone's feeling too bad for us at this point so. no well that, that that's the thing if you complain about watching hockey for a living people will absolutely totally rightly say well uh, get over it <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair um okay so we did something similar to this about two months ago i think it was somewhere just after the new year and i think at this point of the year we don't necessarily need to devote a full show to an extensive power rankings list just because there's a handful of teams at least that we can just immediately cross off and focus on the ones that matter in the present for our playoff purposes i mean listen as riveting as last night's rock fight between the colorado avalanche and the arizona coyotes was i think that uh, i think for just in terms of a big picture view, I don't think we need to spend too much time discussing which one's 30 and which one's 29. Well, it, it, I'll take your word for it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> when, when I looked at the schedule last night, I knew that was not a game I was going to get anywhere near. And, and then when I looked at the score this morning, I, I went, okay, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very pleased that I, I didn't even consider that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, uh, you definitely didn't miss out on a classic. Um, so, so, those two teams are out of the out of the way um i think we can pretty safely cross off the devils the red wings the canucks and the stars too uh do you i guess add the jets and the sabers to that list as well yeah honestly i uh i think there's nine nine teams you can make a case for in the west you can almost make a case for eight but but just uh, prudence dictates nine and in the east you're down to i honestly i'm down to 10 i i uh I'm not too worried about Philadelphia and Florida and Buffalo at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, are you, so I guess you're adding Carolina to that list of teams that you're still, still have a, still have a pulse, still have a, a Oh no, 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 no. I'm well? not, uh, I, I wasn't counting Carolina either. I had uh, Tampa Bay, the Islanders and the eight teams currently in playoff position. Mm. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So that, that makes life easier for us. So that's what leaves like 19 teams, I think remaining out of the 30. I mean, yeah. l- listen, that, that's still, that still means that there's some interesting playoff races. And I think that, you know, this late in the year, this is exactly what, what Gary Bettman wanted, right? It's like this, the idea of the artificial parody with the, with the three point games every night. And, and, you know, there's only like a month left in the season, but there's still a handful of teams that you could squint hard enough and potentially see like things working out for them, even though, you know, the objective observer would probably say they, uh, they're better off just losing a bunch of games and getting a higher traffic, but it's just this weird middle ground we're in. Well, and and one of the things with, with a lot of the teams on the bubble is um, they, they aren't really in a position where they can, they can kind of stock up. Like I I think you can make a case for, for, for LA because LA has some ability if they really collapse, but, but at the same time, you know, if LA gets in, are you going to, you can't seriously write LA off as a team that can beat you in a playoff round. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And, and then you look at teams like the Islanders and Tampa Bay, and they're they're almost past that stage where they're they're really. Uh, I mean, not that you're ever past the stage where adding a good prospect matters, but to me, you know, picking number eight or picking number twelve or picking number sixteen, there's there's not if you slide four spots, it's not a big deal, and, and you're much better off to try and make the postseason. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. Okay, so let's let's key in on some of these uh, on some of these bubble teams. I think let's start with the West, just because I feel like the discussion's much uh, much neater for us and, and much we can get through it quicker. Um, so there really is. It's pretty much the Kings versus, I guess, the Blues and and the Oilers if they really slide. Like it's there's there's those three teams and there's only two playoff spots left. And I think the Kings are on, on the ropes a bit here, especially after that tough loss to the Blues last night at home. And I mean, we talked about this at the deadline when they acquired Ben Bishop, but it, especially when you watch that game last night and and fully acknowledging that games for, between the Blues and the Kings are generally uh, not necessarily the most high-scoring or uh, free-flowing games, but it's like they're sixth in the league in goals against per game and they're 24th in goals for, and they didn't really do anything to try and uh, improve that area. They're clearly weakened at the deadline, and I think that we were we were puzzled at the deadline and watching this team right now it's even more puzzling the fact that they didn't even try to do anything really to kind of help and just give them a shot in the arm yeah i'd i'd also if we're if we're including edmonton i'd also include nashville in the potential for for slide discussion mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah i LA, we we did talk about this at the time they had a really weird deadline uh, Jerome McGinley was you know anytime your your big offensive ad is a, a reclamation project you and and when that's a, a real area of team need, it's it's a problem. Um, they haven't been able to score all year. They've still been very good uh, in terms of shot metrics, thanks to the you know famed Los Angeles system. But they're so offensively impotent that it doesn't even really matter. And you like I, I just don't I don't understand. We didn't we didn't really understand at the time what their end game was, why they would expend assets on Bishop. But it, it's even less clear now. Like, this is a team that should be, you look at your Dowdy, you look at Anze Kopitar, you look at Jeff Carter, should be nearing the tail end of its, you know, sort of competitive window or or in the very prime of it if you're a little bit more optimistic. Mm-hmm. And for them to just kind of twiddle their thumbs and accept their slow fall from grace, it, it, it's very odd. Well, especially with some of the prices that were paid for guys that could have like, oh, made yeah. such a dramatic, like uh, PA Parento for a sixth. Like obviously every contender we've discussed it should have been in on him for that price. But I mean, for them, like he'd instantly become like what they're like fourth, maybe most dynamic offensive player up front. Like it's just like the difference between him and, and the replacement level for them right now is so massive that I, I just don't understand how they weren't, you know, going all in on that and even offering up like a fourth rounder or something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like that—that's a, a pretty clear-cut case. You can even make a case for the guys who who didn't get moved. You know, guys like uh, Redeem Verbata. I, I understand the price there was dear, but whatever the case was, there were options out there. Um, it was really a slow deadline in a lot of ways. Los Angeles had the ability to do some things, and they settled on Jerome McGinley and Ben Bishop and. Um. <laughs> Magic beans. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that, yeah. right? Like, yeah. if you look at the whole market and you go, "These are the two things I want," and you're in LA's shoes, it's really hard to understand the reasoning there. 
Well, what's uh, what's Vinny LeCavalier up to these days? I feel like they could probably probably <laughs> probably dust him off and give him another spin around. Well, Luke Shen should have been available, shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny because I mean Jerome again. Was like it feels like he's such a perfect LA king at this point of his career, where he just like they're just it's so everything is just so slow and methodical and plotting, and I guess it, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a perfect fit. I guess just go all in with uh, he'll, he's definitely fitting in with the rest of the players around him. I'll say that much. Yeah, unfortunately, the rest of the players around him are in a bit of a tailspin at the mm. moment. So, um, so the, that that Blues team that beat them yesterday—they're interesting to me because obviously, um, you know, they were sort of sellers at the deadline, especially with, with Shattenkirk, and that made that made sense, and I get that. But it's funny because they're getting like nine forty goaltending from Jake Allen since February first, when when Ken Hitchcock was fired and Mike Mike Yo replaced him, and I mean. W- w- you know, he's obviously not this good, but then you could also make the argument that he obviously wasn't as bad as he was showing early in the season. So it's kind of all evening out. But I guess in, in from their perspective, it, he uh, picked a hell of a time to, to pull them out of the out of the out of the state percentage seller that they were in pretty much for like the first what four or five months of the season. <laughs> it's uh, it's a little bit like. Um... The, the the parallel that comes to mind for me is is Joseph Joffre, the uh, the great First World War general for France, and uh, French strategy at the start of the war was uh, way out of sync with with everything else that was happening, and they they suffered just a, this terrible pushback right at the start of the war, and then just when everything was at the breaking point, Joffre, who's just famous for being you know super calm and stoic and and imperturbable, he's he's sort of the rock, and he he saves them because he's you know utterly unfazed. Well, everybody else is losing their heads and running around. He's calm. He's firing guys. He's moving guys around. He's he's doing all the things they need to win. And and so the question with Joffre is, you know, is he a great general because he pulled their butts out of the fire, or is he a terrible general because if he hadn't been in charge in the first place, there wouldn't have been a fire to worry about. And and I feel like it's the same thing with uh, with Jake Allen. His overall performance, if you you know kind of average it over the year, it's not terrible. But there wouldn't be any fire to pull the Blues out of if he hadn't been so bad early. So yeah. I, I agree with you that it's you know it's kind of evening out. You know, maybe I was just looking for an excuse to get that story off my chest, but <laughs> I, I feel like it's evening out, and uh, I don't think. Like I think if you if you kind of look at how St. Louis has performed post Hitchcock, post Shattenkirk, in terms of sort of the underlying metrics, they're really not that impressive, mm. and they are riding the goaltending right now. I don't like their chances of of winning a round or two in the postseason, but you know as long as you have nine forty goaltending, you can do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair though, like this is sort of uh, the best case scenario for them, right? Because they. They got those assets for Shattenkirk, so they're not going to see him walk for nothing this summer. And they're potentially also going to get a little bit of that playoff revenue and get a couple home games and not necessarily just completely fall off. So it's like, it's, it's, it really is working out pretty nicely for them, even though I agree with you that, you know, their, uh, their shelf life here isn't too long. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them out in like five or six games in the first round. Yeah. I, I, um, I was a little bit surprised they didn't take more of a hybrid approach at the deadline than they did. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I thought there was a really interesting opportunity for them there. Um, well, and particularly since if you think about a guy like Cody Franz and not getting, you know, like there, there were opportunities to, to add at the deadline and, and maybe kind of repl- like Kevin Shattenkirk is, you know, the Cadillac of uh, number three, right shot defenseman. Like you, you don't get much better than that as your, your third option on the right side. And to me, St. Louis could have added a, a cheaper third shot, third pair right right shot, shot guy, or better still, added a second pairing left shot guy, 
and uh, maybe been the, the drop off from losing Chattenkirk would have been a lot less while you still would have had a similar asset haul. So I, I, I'd like to see them be a bit more creative, but you're, you're not wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they've got a five point cushion now, thanks to that big win yesterday and, and this it's seven point gap between the Oilers and the Kings. So I don't know. It's going to be tough here for the Kings just because, you know, they obviously have enough. I think they have 14 games left. So it's, it's conceivable that they could make up that ground. But just with, you know, we, we really have to keep this stuff, these leads in perspective here at this point of the year, just considering how few games are actually just like ending in, in regulation as a, as a clean two point game. It's like, it seems like in every game, at least like these teams are picking up at least one point. So like for the Kings to, to jump those five, six points, it's going to be pretty tough. And I don't know, like it, it, you mentioned that if they make it to the playoffs, I think no one is really going to want to play them because despite what happened last year against the Sharks, I think in the right matchup, they still really could just grind you down and just beat you on a purely volume basis. So it seems like it would be a very uh, unpleasant matchup to draw in the first round for any team. But I, I, I just I just wonder if they're actually going to have the firepower to get there. It seems like uh, they they really are on the ropes here. Well, and I, I think they, uh, they almost have to pass either Edmonton or Nashville. I was looking at St. Louis's schedule and they've got a lot of road games, which is kind of what I was looking at first. But then I looked at who they were playing. Um, in the month of March, they play Arizona and Colorado five times. Hmm. Like five of their next nine games are against either Arizona or Colorado. So, you know, if you're L.A., good luck catching them now. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty nice little draw there. Um, okay, so let's let, let's shift to the east here because... I honestly think this conversation could take anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. I don't, I don't even, I don't even, I, I don't even know. Let, let, let's, let's, let's cross off Carolina, Florida, and Philly. And, you know, if one of them makes a magical run here towards the end, uh, we'll readjust our expectations and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tuck our tails between our legs. But I think, you know, just for our purposes here, I think it's kind of safe to write them off, which means that you've basically got three teams fighting for one, one play. I guess, I guess two, if, if you're cutting, if you're just, erasing the flyers from this it's basically just between the the Le- the least i guess the, the three the, the least lightning and the islanders right you can you can shoehorn boston in there a little bit mm. uh, but well, especially I have, because I have, I have boston as one of my legitimate contenders so it'd be, I, I i know what you're <laughs> saying just mathematically but i feel like they're they they probably are like in a different class than some of these other teams yeah well i i think boston pure talent wise is probably a better team than ottawa mm-hmm. uh, but but at the same time, you know, Boston only has 80 points. Right. You, uh, Tuka Rask pulls, pulls a groin and, and is out for, for four weeks. And, you know, Boston could very well find themselves in ninth or 10th. Hmm. So I guess the, the Leafs are currently holding on to that spot, but the Lightning are the team that's really capturing people's imagination and really kind of forcing us to keep an eye on them because despite the fact that guys just seem to keep falling like flies for them, I mean, Tyler Johnson was the latest one and Nemesnikov got injured, although it looks like he's going to be okay. Um, they just keep finding a way to win. And, and I, I noticed that they're like a 53% Corsi team over the past 15 games. And they're really uh, playing some of their best hockey at the right time. And, you know, Vasilevsky's right of the ship after they traded Bishop and he started to play a lot better. And they obviously have the top end firepower. I mean, Kucherov and Hedman are having absolutely elite top flight seasons. And then there's this sort of looming specter of a potential Stamkos return uh, down the line. So I don't know. It's like, do you think that, it's a, a bit too little too late or do you think that there's actually some uh some traction here for them to to really kind of kick this into high gear and make this a legitimate run well they're they're only one point out like, yeah yeah 
and uh, and once you get into the playoffs, anything's possible. I, I think uh, I think they do themselves a well. I think they do themselves a world of good if they could somehow overtake Boston in addition to Toronto, because then they won't be drawing you know Washington in the first round. Mm. But uh, having said that. You know, if if I'm Washington and I'm looking at the options, the idea of getting Tampa Bay in the first round is pretty much a worst case scenario because, you know, we we've been wondering about them all year. What's going on with them? Some of it's obviously injury. Some of it, who knows? But uh, this is this is still a quality team. The the, the core pieces are, are still intact, as you mentioned. Their shot metrics the last while are phenomenal. Vasilevsky's playing extremely well, and if Stamkos comes back, this is not a team. <laughs> well. It's really not a team you want to face in the first round. Yeah, no, I mean, if they listen, if they get Stamkos and Tyler Johnson back, and they're like all of a sudden, uh, you could make the argument that they're right up there with the with the with the Capitals and the Penguins as the best teams in the East. But it's like, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I feel like you know people like yourself and, and and myself especially like we look a lot at optimizing every single uh, roster spot and, and, you know, not taking for granted your third pairing and your fourth line and really trying to have this balanced team that doesn't have any, any spots that the opposition can exploit. But then like, it it is a reminder that it is still uh, a little bit of a star driven league, just because like you look at this roster right now that they're currently using and it's like Lute Witkowski is on their fourth line and he's a defenseman. And it's like Jake Dotchin comes up from the AHL and he's all of a sudden playing with Victor Hedman in the top pairing and Byron Freeze, who they just you know picked up off the scrap heap as their third line center it's like they have all these guys that are obviously playing in roles that they wouldn't if they were healthy but they're still winning just because those that top end of their roster is so good that it's just kind of carrying them throughout these games well the the thing with um the thing with the the headman dodgen pairing is it really does solve a problem for them in that it allows them to move anton strawman onto the second unit and uh, shore up what has been a notable weakness. I think kind of what we've learned from Chicago the last, not last year, but in previous seasons, like we've seen them win the cup with, well, basically they did have four proper forward lines, but basically four defensemen. Mm -hmm. And, and you can get away if you've got, if you've got a solid coach. And I think John Cooper's a very solid coach. If you've got a solid coach, I think you can get away with some of the weak spots just because you play them in low leverage situations and you don't give them that many minutes. And uh, you know, it, you know, if Chicago can win with with Duncan. I'm trying to remember who all everybody who Duncan Keith played with in uh, <laughs> in 2015 because there were some pretty funky defense pairings there for a while. Um, but you you can do it. You can you can sneak these sort of lesser players into the lineup as long as you use them judiciously. And and Tampa Bay has been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, you know, you look at how loaded some of those Blackhawks teams were in the past, but it's like, if you remember, uh, especially the year they beat the Bruins, like, Nick Letty wasn't really playing in that series. Like, he was dressed, but he was, I remember he was playing like five or six minutes per game. It was like, it, 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 for whatever reason, Quenville uh, was reluctant to use him. I didn't trust him in those, in those high leverage situations, and they still just managed to get it done because basically that Jalmers and Oduya pairing, and then, and then Keith and Seabrook were just, playing like all of the minutes for them and it didn't really matter who else was who else was out there well i, I just i had to i had to pull it up since we we're having this discussion mm-hmm. i had to pull up their their 2015 stanley cup winning defense roster and they've got you know the two pairings that you just mentioned but then they've got roseval and team and van reemsteig and well van reemsteig didn't really play he was hurt but mm-hmm. and kumiski and run and kyle kumiski is the name that i couldn't remember <laughs> but 
I, rem- I remember they would spot Duncan Keith on on the pairing with Comiskey, and it would just be you know the the Cadillac of NHL defensemen and uh, a pretty average minor league guy, and and it, somehow it worked. Yeah, somehow we're well. Yeah, it's the 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 top end of the roster is so good that it just, it yeah. just rises, it lifts everything up. Um, so who, if you had to pick one of these three teams, are you are you picking Tampa Bay? Then it sounds like you're pretty optimistic. I mean, we should say that they are a point back, and the Leafs do have uh, a game in hand on them as well. Uh, if I have to pick one of them to make the playoffs right mm. now, yeah, I'd, I probably would pick Tampa Bay. Mm. Yeah, although Toronto, Toronto's. Toronto's schedule the rest of the way is is favorable right up until the very end, and uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto do play before the end of the year, so that'll be like that. I believe they play twice before the end of the year, actually. So that'll be uh, something to watch for sure because those two games could very well decide everything. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, all three of these teams have uh, have their obvious strengths and weaknesses, and you know, like it's it's pretty easy to dismiss the Islanders amongst these 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 this group of teams, but like, I mean, last year I, I felt pretty confident picking the the Panthers in that first round series. And then John Tavares just reminded us that, you know, he was the best player on the ice that series and he basically just won it for them. And it's like, it's, 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 it's easy to uh, overlook that sometimes where we, we get a bit too overconfident with some of this stuff and being like, of course the, the lightning and the Leafs are better than the Islanders here. And of course, uh, whoever draws that number one seed would rather play them, but it's like you, you, you really can't ever take any of this stuff for granted. Well, and the Islanders have a, a lot of the Islanders struggles recently kind of relate to goaltending. I think they've been a much better team since the coaching change. And, uh, the, the thing with, with the NHL is outside of the, the very top end, there's, there's not a lot of gap. Like you draw Toronto or the Islanders or Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is a little bit more scary just because they've underachieved this year, and and we know they're capable of more from from past seasons. Mm-hmm. But all any any team can beat you. Like there, there's no such thing as a safe playoff matchup these days. Yeah. Um, let's quickly talk about the Leafs. Like I, I feel like we've all been spending so much time talking about them for good reason because they've been really exciting and fun to watch. But I know there's probably Leafs fans listening to this podcast that are pounding their table right now, waiting for us to to talk about them for a little bit. And and I think that they're an interesting case here, where you know, let's say you are a Washington or, or a Pittsburgh or even a Columbus at this point, and you draw them in the first round. Like the the interesting uh, problem they would present is. You know, these playoff series are so matchup based and that really determines how these things go. And you whenever you have to play a team like the Leafs, it's tough because they can really, um, you know, take you out of your, your comfort zone and, and make you play the type of game that they want to play, which is sort of this frantic up and down, up and down pace where, you know, anything goes and there could be wild swings. And in a short playoff series like that style lends itself to uh, pretty high variance, I suspect. And it's, you know, it's very conceivable that they could just get hot all of a sudden and and just run you out of the gym in, in, in short order. So it's like it, it's scary all the way around. All these teams, you could really kind of make the case that they, they have uh, one certain, you know, style or, or, or set of players that pose a, a really interesting, unique challenge. Well, the thing with Toronto is, I personally would would not relish the idea of uh, going up against Mike Babcock when Mike Babcock has three good offensive lines and a fourth line that uh, is far more useful than it was prior to the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that that to me is is where the real threat level rises and uh, and because they have that depth if you if you're a team with with a, a little bit more of a weak not that what because I mean we're probably talking about a, a first round matchup with with Washington mm-hmm. um, not that Washington lacks depth this year but uh, Tor- Toronto has the ability to uh, to win not just to win the the matchups between the third and the fourth line but also to uh, to do some damage there. Like like a lot of teams, you know, if, if it's a third line battle, it doesn't really matter because you're not going to get hurt. Well, if, if you're playing against Toronto and Toronto wins the third line battle, they have enough offense to hurt you there. And and that, to me, makes them frightening. Yeah. Um, all right, Jonathan, let's, uh, let's take a little break here just to hear from, uh, from one of our sponsors and we'll pick it up on the other side of things. We have pretty loyal listeners who generally know what's up and, and how we do it here in the Hockeypedia cast, so they already know all this, but for those of you that may have just randomly stumbled upon the show for the first time, in which case, where have you been all along? I mean, we've done over 150 episodes by now. Uh, or those of you that don't have your hands free at the moment and can't skip ahead a couple times through this ad like you normally do, and, and I don't blame you for that. I do that myself when I listen to podcasts. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's show. With their easy-to-use mobile app and online interface, they make it more convenient than ever before to get your hands on some tickets, whether they be for sporting events, to watch your favorite hockey team play, or to a concert for whatever act is in town that night. Uh, In just a couple clicks, they do all the grunt work for you, searching internet high and low to compare prices and find you the best deals out there. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code PDO and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So all you got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get $20 off. Now let's get back to the show. All right. So this is the, this is the important stuff here. Um, acknowledging that the playoffs can be a crapshoot where luck and matchups mean as much as actual ability at times. How, if you look around the league right now, how many uh, legitimate contenders would you say there are that, you know, in a realistic scenario, they could conceivably make a really long run and potentially even win the cup? Uh, probably six. Mm. Um, I, I think you can, you can, you might be able to, if I, if I really stretch it, I can make a case for eight. And if I'm if I'm really you know uh, really chop it down, I can probably get it down to four. So so six ish. Yeah, I'm at I'm at eight right now. Um, I mean, you know, if you really wanted to be stingy about it, you could you could cut it down to like three or four, just realistically. But there is a, a certain scenario for a handful of other teams, so I'm kind of like reticent of of writing them off here, just because I know that it could wind up backfiring and making us look really stupid for having a discussion that just <laughs> doesn't involve them at all. So I always got to keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, well, like like to me, I, I can see a scenario where Nashville ends up coming out of the West and being, but I, I don't. I, I wouldn't lump them into that group of contenders, even though I, I can I can imagine a scenario where they would be. Right, they were they were one of the teams that I was thinking of, where it's like they're not playing as good as a lot of these other teams, but it is conceivable that you know their A game can really hang with any of these teams, and if it all comes together at the right time, all of a sudden no one's going to want to play them when like they're just rolling rolling lines and and have our you know the best defense group in the league and. Uh, it's it, they they'd seem like they'd be a, a tough out. So it's like there there are a handful of those teams. But let's 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 kind of start from from the top here. Um, are you buying the Senators at all? No. Okay. 
If if, uh, just to because I I know there will be Ottawa people listening to this, and Mm. and just to explain why goal differential really does matter. Ottawa is a plus nine team this year. Um, The New York Rangers are a plus forty two team. Ottawa is not in the mix. Ottawa's gotten away with a lot because they've won a ton of close games, and playoff games are all close games. But their margin of error is is too thin to survive four playoff rounds. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I mean, it's been a it's been a good story, and some of these uh, deadline day acquisitions, you know, Burroughs and Stahlberg definitely um, help. Sort of in the sense of just how we were talking about the Kings, where it's like Parento would have been such an improvement from some of the other guys they're relying upon. Just getting a couple of players that might not necessarily be you know world beaters or, or, or fantastic players in their own right, but compared to who they're replacing in the lineup, all of a sudden the Senators actually have uh, a couple of lines that they can rely upon to keep their head above water and, and that's a big upgrade from where they were uh, earlier in the year so it makes them tougher to play against but you're you're right I, I think that I have them lumped in this group with you know teams like the Oilers and the Ducks and the Blues where uh, you can't necessarily just totally dismiss them because they've accumulated enough points here where they're in the in, a, in the discuss in the playoff discussion but I ultimately like see a pretty clearly defined ceiling for them in the playoffs I uh, agree entirely when I put my list together. Edmonton, Ottawa, and Anaheim were all in, in the same tier. Mm. Well, I guess the, the next logical question is what about the Flames? Because they're 11-0-1 in their past 12 games since a uh, 5 nothing blowout loss at home to the Coyotes. And we do this dance every time a team goes on a long winning streak where there's this like backlash to the backlash to the backlash where, <laughs> you know, it's like y- you you have this group that all of a sudden goes like, whoa, they're the, they're the best team ever. Like, look how many what games they won in a row. And then you have the people that go, well, actually, they're not this good. They, you know, then they start pointing to their shooting percentage or their save percentage or these small bursts. And I don't think anyone's arguing that the Flames are the best team in NHL history and they're never going to lose again. But if you look at it, it's like it's pretty clear that this isn't just one of those short term mirages where they're just, you know, pulling this pulling this out of their butts and, and it's they're they're, they're going to fall back down to earth rapidly like over the past 20 games they're a 52.5 percent Fenwick team they've been on this upward trajectory for a long time even when they weren't winning these games uh they were kind of an interesting team to point at and look at well if they start getting some better bounces or some better goaltending all of a sudden their performance could improve and they could start winning some of these games and that's basically what's happened here yeah um they've uh you just referenced the the Fenwick over the last little bit. I was I was going to make the same point, so I, I agree entirely. Obviously, uh, when I kind of look at their roster construction, it I, I I have a hard time not putting them in sort of the my second. Like I've kind of got three tiers. You know, the teams that that I don't see as legitimate threats, the, the dark horses, and then the, the the legitimate contenders. And Calgary to me is a bit of a dark horse. I really. The Michael Backlund, Matt Kachuk, Michael Froelich line is maybe the best line in the NHL that people don't realize is a great line. Like that unit has been great all year. Um, a lot of the flame struggles earlier were were due to sort of the Monahan Gaudreau line collapsing. That's turned itself around. I don't think Michael Furlan's going to keep scoring at this insane clip that he's scored on mm-hmm. since being put on that line. But now that those two guys are together, I think they should be able to work with you know, a variety of pieces. Uh, Matt Stajan is a very useful guy in a specific role. So that line's fine. 
I think the real question is whether their third line can can click. Um, Versteeg's been decent for them all year, but Brower's been, been very bad. Uh, so, so that's a bit of a toss-up. But the other thing they have is they have a, a legitimate potential for, for two solid defense pairings, which I think you absolutely need. They've obviously got the, the big three guys, Giordano, Brody, and Hamilton, and it's just a question of whether the fourth guy in that rotation, be it, uh, be it Stone, be it England, can be passable. Because if he's passable, then Calgary's a team that could come at you with you know, three potential scoring lines, a good all-purpose fourth line, and a solid top four on defense. I, I struggle. I struggle to put the case to the, together for them to actually win four playoff rounds, but yeah. it wouldn't shock me at all if they won, you know, two. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, the game last night was was pretty interesting against the Penguins, where like the, you know, the Penguins obviously they're sort of towards the end of this uh, Western Canada road trip, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But they gave them a good little punch early on, and the, and the Flames absorbed it and, and gave it right back, and it was, turned into this really fun back and forth game, and they sh- they, they they showed that they can at least hang with with some of these upper echelon teams. It, it is a bit frustrating that. You know, man, we just talked about the Senators. Like, if they'd been able to scoop up a guy like Stahlberg or something on the cheap, or, or Parento, as we mentioned earlier, like to help give them another another guy there in that middle six, like that would have been pretty enormous. Especially if yeah. Ireland comes back down to earth and stops being productive, all of a sudden, you know, they're probably going to wind up going back and trying to reinvigorate Troy Brower there. And we saw earlier in the year that's probably not a, a recipe for success. So that would have been a nice little addition for them. But they're playing really good hockey right now, and I, I don't think that. It, this is a this is a fluke at all. Like they're they're looking like a legitimately really good team. I still think I have them in that tier that we just mentioned with the Ducks and the Oilers in the West, but and the Blues. But I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess uh, I guess crazier things have happened. I still I still have a hard time elevating them to even that tier with the, with the Predators. I think the Predators A game is probably still a bit better though. Well, that's legitimate. They are anytime like because we're we're. I kind of set this up as tiers instead of like a, an ordered list. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're towards the bottom end of that tier. If you have them at the top end of sort of the Anaheim, like I don't think there's a big gap between Calgary and Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I mean, Calgary's a bit better based on what they've done lately, but I don't think the gap is huge. And, and uh, you know, it's probably comparable to the gap between Calgary and Nashville. Maybe even, maybe, maybe Calgary and Nashville, the gap is, is even a touch bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Let's, let, so let's talk about the Eastern Conference because, it's it's uh it's the up at the top of the standings it's very interesting um i can't decide what is more idiotic the fact that the rangers are living life just sitting in that first wildcard spot right now we uh we've talked about this quite a bit but it's it's remarkable that they're probably uh in the best spot right now of any team in the league and then you have you know a, a conceivable all of a sudden penguins capitals first round matchup which would be just <laughs> which would be just mind blowing i mean you know it, it would be fun and we saw a little bit of it last year uh maybe a, a poor man's version with the kings and the sharks in the first round but it's like man that would be a that would be a disaster if those two teams met that early and one of them was was sitting at home the rest of the way and then we've also got the realistic scenario where the team that wins the president's trophy could run into the tampa bay lightning which uh as we kind of drew out you know might be one of the better teams in the league if if they get healthy and everything comes together for them so it's just like this entire eastern conference picture is such a mess because there's so many moving parts still but it seems like there's going to be something that happens that just makes absolutely no sense and 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 just kind of really just drives people like you and i crazy yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, Washington-Pittsburgh in the second round last year, to me, was the Stanley Cup final. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know the Tampa Bay series went longer, but I don't think any team pushed Pittsburgh as hard as the Capitals did. Uh, if that's the first-round matchup this year, I don't even know what to say about that other than I'll be watching it and um, how stupid is this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it is kind of hilarious that the Rangers are probably going to almost certainly going to be the fourth best team in their division and are going to enter the playoffs with the most favorable matchup in the Eastern conference. Um, well, everyone knows they, you know, you enter the season trying to be the fourth best team in your division. Like oh, that, yeah. that's, that's the prime spot right there. The, the crossover stuff. Everybody drew this up. Mm-hmm. We, we, we knew this was happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it, it's, it, it is insane because there are like Honestly, if you cut the East down to four contenders, you probably end up with Washington, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and New York. And uh, if you if you think Tampa Bay's for real, mm-hmm. and New York is is obviously the number four tier on those teams, you can make a case that the the four best teams in the playoffs are or in the Eastern Conference are all going to meet in the first round. It, it's nuts, and I, I don't know how to choose between the Metropolitan. Like I, I like Washington a little bit, like a tiny bit better than I like Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh a little bit better than I like Columbus, and I like Columbus a tiny bit better than I like the Rangers. But the the gap between there is uh, it's paper thin. Yeah, yeah. I think you. Uh, I think I agree with the way you rank those four Metro teams, but it uh, it really could go either way. Um, are you are you worried at all about this recent capital slide and Ovechkin's goal scoring woes, or is it just one of these things where over the course of a long season they can't just you know keep winning every game and having these remarkable numbers where they're just scoring five five a night and they were they were due for this and it's kind of good to get out of the way now before before the playoffs. Well, I I um I don't know that it's I. I don't know that it's good to get it out of the way now mm. before the playoffs, but uh, like I, I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it's something that. Ah, uh, I look at things probabilistically, and and I think that for the majority of teams, you're going to hit this kind of run. I don't think it's anything worth worrying about. Um, but I also don't think it's something that you know it's the balance of probability indicates it's inevitable, but if you don't get it out of the way in the, the last bit of the regular season, it doesn't mean that you, uh, you're, you're going to experience it in the playoffs is I, I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously not encouraging. Like you'd, you'd like to see them playing well heading into the playoffs. Of course, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making that. Yeah. I, just, I just think that I'm wondering, like, I, I don't necessarily think that there's um any sort of, predictive value like i don't think that no. this malaise they're in right now that that i'm feeling myself like i maybe they're just they're, they're just with me they're like oh man this 82 game season so long and they're just kind of sitting some of these some checking checking out a bit mentally here but it's like it's i think they're gonna be fine i mean you look at that team and there's just so much depth and so much talent and really no weak spots throughout the lineup they can just roll pretty much all their players pretty comfortably so I think I think they're going to be fine. It's a, it's kind of a a convenient story for people to point to and and wonder what's wrong with them and sound the panic panic but hit the panic button. But I think ultimately uh, they're going to turn this thing around, and I, I still think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh yep, yeah, no arguments. Um, so the Blackhawks are an interesting team to me because early on in the season uh, they were winning a ton of games and they were the obvious regression candidate where you just looked at, looked at their statistical resume and went, well, Corey Crawford is just playing out of his mind right now and winning a lot of these games for them. And they were a pretty pedestrian 5-on-5 team otherwise. And 
it was easy to think that that wasn't going to last. But all of a sudden, you look now, and I think over the past 20 or so games, they're like a 53% uh, shot share team. And I don't I don't know how Stan Bowman keeps doing it, but guys like Ryan Hartman and Nick Schmaltz and even even Tanner Carroll and, and Vinny Hanestroza, like, I all of a sudden just like a lot of these players like i you know they're they're pretty feisty and they're a nice little supporting cast for the obvious top dogs that they still have playing at the highest level and another key development is the fact that after looking very pedestrian at the start of the year jonathan taves has really kind of kicked it into high gear here and started to look like more like the player that some people have been saying that he's that he is for a lot of years and him playing really well and being able to carry a line all of a sudden gives them those two dominant scoring lines and that makes them much tougher to play against as opposed to just being able to kind of key on that Panarin Kane pairing. Yeah, um I I have to own own a bit of a at, at the start of the year Chicago was a team I identified and I I didn't write them off but I came pretty close because mm. you you look at those names like <laughs> You have Richard Panic on your top line. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. I I, I, uh, I feel pretty comfortable saying that that's that's not a guy who's going to drive results for you. Well, as it turns out, um, he may not be driving results, but he's doing just fine in a shotgun role there. Mm-hmm. So Chicago is a much better team than they looked at the start of the year. A much better team than I gave them credit for. I, I still they're they're an extremely tough team. Um, they've got the kind of depth on defense they didn't have before, and and the the flip side has been that they don't have the same depth at forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the core of this team, we've seen that the core of this team can get by with some pretty weak supporting pieces. This time they're just up front instead of on defense, and and I don't I thought that was an insurmountable obstacle, but apparently it isn't. And uh, particularly with the West as weak as it is, it's it's impossible for me to take them out of that top tier now. Well, don't beat yourself up about it. I mean, I think that you definitely weren't alone. I was right there with you. And I think they are a good reminder of, you know, this stuff is is pretty fluid. Like you're allowed to recalibrate your opinions and expectations as the year goes along because teams and players get better and worse and we get new information on how they're playing and what, you know, a realistic expectation is of them. And you're allowed to sort of reformulate your opinion like it, it you know at, at the start of the year they weren't as good as their win-loss record and that was pretty obvious and then they started playing better and that means that we should be able to change our opinions you're not like stuck you're not stuck like oh yeah jonathan willis he's the guy that, that rode off the blackhawks because they weren't playing that well it's like but you know it's not mutually exclusive they you're right they weren't playing that well and now they're playing better and now we're saying they're playing better and that's just how this works well, and and the thing with with any kind of um, is somebody like me who you know has to have opinions for for a living and and, and does this. I, I think the thing is when you when you see something like Chicago this year, where you know the first couple months I went, wow, they're not that good for these reasons. It, it's just a good reminder for the next time around that when you have a team that's got you know, this long record of, of doing pretty well, and then their shot share. I, I think what really threw me is that it was coming off 2015-16 when they had had really fallen off from their previous heights. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, you know, wow, you look at the age of the core, this is a team that, this is clearly a sign of things to come. And then it was easy to fall into the the, the thing of saying, well, this is a continuation of the pattern we saw last year. And um, 
well, and that clearly wasn't the case. So it's uh, I, I don't mind getting. I'd prefer not to get anything wrong, but but I think the important thing is when things change, don't get stuck with your your inaccurate prediction at the start. Like, don't um, be willing to acknowledge you were wrong and and move on and say, okay, this is a better team than I expected. What can I learn from this? And uh, going into the playoffs, I, I'd much rather say, okay, I was wrong early, but I'm I'm, I'm right now yeah. than uh, than stick with a wrong opinion all year. Uh, and I think that's that's the key here. Just like learning from. Learning from what happened and and being able to uh to to be flexible with your opinions, I think that's uh that, that that's big for people like you and I in this industry. Um, so well, you're, you're just not going to get everything right. Yeah, that's the thing, and and just as corrected as soon as you can. Yeah, and I think yeah. we we you know neither of us ever even claim that we are uh, gonna be always right. Right? It's like I, we all have bad opinions, especially you know, I look at it more as a, a process. It's like, is there a logical argument that you're making at the time? And it may wind up looking bad in hindsight, but as long as the reasoning was there, I'm perfectly okay with it. And with that approach, like that, that's, that's all that really matters to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you put the Blackhawks, Sharks and wild at, in a tier together atop the Western Conference, or do you think there's a separation between those three teams? And if so, where do you see that separation? Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think if if I'm really being super critical and, and cutting down to my my list of four, then it's probably just uh, Minnesota and San Jose. Mm-hmm. But Minnesota, San Jose, Chicago are all really tight. And if I'm going to a, a list of eight contenders, then Nashville's in the fourth slot there. Um, mm-hmm. My preferred view is just that Minnesota, Chicago, and San Jose are the real threats in the West. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny because they sort of slayed that dragon a little bit last year when they made the, the, the run all the way to the cup final. But now all of a sudden, no one's really talking much about the sharks they're just like they really are flying under the radar a little bit this season like burns is insanely productive season is getting a lot of the attention but otherwise no one's really making a big fuss about the sharks they're just kind of there but pretty much from start to finish i've been most impressed by them out of any team in the western conference like i just i just think that they're gonna be a, a hell of a team to play against in the playoffs with no weaknesses and 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 the top end guys to really drive the results as well yeah and and the fact that they're uh going to come up through the pacific they should win their first two rounds like Mm. they shouldn't like minnesota and chicago those two teams have to go through each other to get to the 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 conference finals san jose there isn't a team in the pacific that should be able to beat i mean obviously you know with seven game series blah 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 all the caveats but san jose should win their first two rounds and uh that that relatively relatively easy road to the the um, conference finals i i think gives them a leg up over over Chicago and Minnesota just because they should only have one really tough matchup to get to the final versus two. Yeah, and I have the Capitals, Penguins, and Sharks sort of in a tier uh, by themselves up top at the top of the league. But it's funny because like there's a, I don't know what percent chance, but there's a reasonably uh, high chance that, you know, the Capitals and Penguins could just beat each other up in the first round. And then all of a sudden, whoever wins that, loses in the second round just because the playoffs in the NHL are, are crazy like that sometimes. And it's like you neither of those teams is in the Eastern conference finals. And all of a sudden I, I would view the sharks as the favorite, but I think that those three teams right there are, are kind of the class of the league right now. You can, you can make the case for the Blackhawks and the wild and, um, 
I, I still th- I still think now that I think about it, the blue the Blue Jackets and the Rangers, even though they're both really good and have their strengths, I still think that there's a decent gap between them and the Capitals and Penguins atop the Eastern Conference. I think. Um, yeah, I I uh, I don't think there's. I, I would class it the same way, and the <laughs> the only thing that concerns me about that is sort of the scenario you've just outlined. Like it's it's possible to envision a uh, metropolitan division title match between the Columbus Blue Jackets and Tampa Bay Lightning, which would be <laughs> pretty hilarious, and and it's possible to imagine. You know, Calgary slumping just enough to slide into the top wild card slot in the West, and then beating San Jose in the first round. I could see that happening. Yeah. But um, San Jose, Washington, Pittsburgh, I think, are the three best teams on merit, and um, the the three that I would kind of peg as as the best teams going in. And and the only thing that really stands between Washington and Pittsburgh being at the very top of that list and in the clear from everybody else is the difficulty of their road to the post to the uh, to the finals. Yep, I think that's well said. Um, all right, well let's um, let's put a bow on it here, and we'll uh, we'll pick this conversation back up maybe in a couple weeks from now as the uh, when the playoffs get closer and and we uh, we have to start making predictions, trying to figure out how this stuff's going to play out. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think that this chat really helped reinvigorate me. I'm excited about these races and uh, and and the jockeying for position right now. Well, it's it it um, it is a it is a grind at this point, like we talked about. But when I look talking about the metropolitan division always encourages me because you know you're going to have some really good matchups right off the hop yeah it's like oh this team's good and this team's good and yeah those two other teams are also very good okay we got we have we have four really good teams i i, I can get excited about, about that yeah absolutely all right john uh let's uh yeah I'll, I'll i'll chat with you soon and and uh thanks again for taking the time it's always fun and and uh and we'll uh we'll pick it back up in about a month or so then very much my pleasure take care dimitri Cheers. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.